Hi, everyone. Welcome to CDH Conversations podcast. You're joined here today by myself, Uleng Mutabeng, and JJ van der Valt. Thank you much for joining today. Today, we're going to discuss an interesting topic, which is a proposed amendment to the fourth schedule of the Income Tax Act that regulates what they call employees' tax and an obligation of employers to withhold such tax. And the amendment seeks to level the playing field between a resident employer and a non-resident employer. And from this perspective, what the amendment seeks to do is to redefine the first paragraph to read, instead of saying every employer who is a resident or representative employer, in the case of the employer who is not a resident, must withhold employee tax, say just every employer um, or representative employer must withhold employee's tax. And the purpose today is to unpack, one, from a tax perspective, and two, from an employment law perspective, the potential impact of this amendment. So from your side, Puleng, what would the tax impact of this proposed amendment be? Thanks for that, JJ. From a tax perspective, what the amendment does is basically remove the distinction between a non-resident employer and a resident employer. So previously, what the provision in essence said is if you were a non-resident employer, you only needed to withhold employees' tax and remit same to SARS only if you were doing it through a representative employer. So only if you had appointed a representative employer did you have that obligation. What the amendment now seeks to do is to remove that prerequisite almost by saying whether or not you have a representative employer in South Africa or not, as long as you qualify as an employer in terms of the definition, you have to withhold tax and remit it to SARS. So the impact of that is we'll probably see more non-resident companies being required to register for employees tax in South Africa. And I think this will have a huge impact on remote workers, especially, but also digital nomads who have identified South Africa as a favorable place to set up and work. Can you maybe give us how this may impact us from an employment law perspective? Yes. So upon understanding the manner in which the definition of employee, employer and remuneration are all set out in the fourth schedule. Um, it's quite interesting from a legal perspective how the definition was structured, saying that an employer is any person paying or is responsible or obliged law to pay remuneration. That's the first one. Employee would be the person who received or is entitled to receive payment of remuneration. And then the definition of remuneration specifically excludes an independent contractor. Now, from an employment law perspective, it's the age-old debate between whether I'm an employee or an independent contractor. And if uh, South Africa as a jurisdiction has been identified as a marketplace for employees or workers, whether that benefit be tax or, uh, so I would say, a reduced labor, meaning people being employed or, or services being retained at a reduced rate, comparatively speaking, from international platform. This may have an impact where non-resident employers would, would argue or non-resident companies argue that indeed they are not employing employees and these people are in fact um, independent contractors. And what makes this very interesting would be that the definition of an independent contractor in, as set out in remuneration is quite aged or dated in the sense that it hasn't kept 
track with the employment law jurisprudence of the definition of an employee, how to distinguish between employee and independent contractor. So what a potential impact would be, or a consequence rather, of this proposed amendment is quite possibly interesting litigation with SARS saying that your fourth schedule was expressly and intentionally um, defined or set out the definition of an independent contractor in a, in a very specific manner. And that, that is the supervision and control test that was operative at the time or the dominant test which the legislator intentionally decided to set in or set out within the fourth schedule. So from an employment law perspective, I think tax practitioners will come knocking on the door of of employment experts to understand the potential to advise clients that in fact you are not employing people so to not have an obligation to register as an employer so that's in, in summary from an employment law perspective but then do you think the tax practitioners i mean from a uh, tax dispute perspective be able to import the definition that is there for employment law purposes as opposed to relying on the definition as set out in the fourth schedule. Yes, so what SARS have done in the past, they have relied quite heavily on judgment that has been actually handed down in the employment law perspective as the great bulk of jurisprudence would be found from a, a strict employment law perspective. That's, I mean, if, if you're an employee, the employment, what we call employment legislation, becomes unlocked and all the protections and benefits then fall at the behest of the employee and to the benefit of an employee. Now, if you take it from the tax perspective, is that if I'm a non-resident company and if I don't want this additional administrative burden, I would argue that the person that's rendering services to the company would be an independent contractor as opposed to an employee. Now, the jurisprudence has developed from an employment law perspective much more than what was con- what is contained in the fourth schedule. In other words, there's an argument to be made that until such time as the express wording and the ordinary language of the fourth schedule is changed, that there's arguments to be made and possible litigation to be had to argue that there is a much more narrow conception of an employee than what we have in employment law perspective, in, in, in a strict employment law um, realm. And what's also quite interesting is that the Constitutional Court has expressly held that you cannot import definitions of different pieces of legislation within your legislation that you want to interpret, whether it's for the sake of convenience or otherwise. You need to interpret the legislation at hand, which means if you apply that dictum strictly, one would be limited to what the express language says in the fourth schedule. But these are much more intellectual debates than a practical one. But if one consider the potential impact, it would be well advised for non-resident companies to actually investigate this possibility. Thank you, JJ. And from um, practical to kind of get away from having to register, what advice would you give non-resident companies? Would it just to be to investigate their contractual relationships with the employees that they do employ from South Africa? So practically, I would structure the relationship that as a freelancer um, or a person that can work on their own hours and will use their laptop, for example, and be economically independent from the non-resident. So if you structure the relationship in that way, you would not be found to be an employer. Understood. And what are your 
general thoughts on the amendment. Do you think it's good for the economy? Do you think it's an amendment that assists in the collection of revenue? Or do you think it's just hindering us from being a sought-after location for talent that non-resident companies can make use of? So I'm no tax expert, but um, from a, a purely fiscal perspective, there should not be prejudice from the, the, the current um, definition, shouldn't prejudice the fiscus as such, because either the, the person being receiving the income, meaning the person rendering the services, still be subject to income tax from a worldwide perspective and i would assume if you're not falling within this is the fourth schedule will be provisional tax in nature on the face of it what the proposed amendment seeks to achieve is more a what we call social insurance and that is unemployment insurance benefits um, and skills development so in one that's the, the insurance part the other one is the is the enhancement part so the skills development levy and the uninsurance levy should then be included. My understanding of the amendment is to, for the legislator, there has been to ensure that non-resident employers should also contribute to these two levies that we have. So it's not necessarily a fiscus-driven amendment, but more a one where we want to level the playing field between the non-resident and resident employers. Thanks for that, JJ. So I think that is one of the things that would discourage non-resident companies from investing in talent in South Africa is not just the added cost, um, as you've mentioned, JJ, of paying the UIF and SDR, but also the administrative burden that comes with that, correct? So if you have to pay employees tax, you actually have to set up a system, a payroll system that allows you to do that. But also in order for you to register as an employer in South Africa, you actually need to be registered as an external company with SIPSI and possibly also registered for income tax with SARS because you have to register through e-filing and you won't have access to e-filing unless you are registered for income tax purposes. So from that perspective, I think non-resident companies will definitely be dissuaded from making use of South African talent as a result. The views and information expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily present those of the firm. All content is provided for general purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. We make no representations, warranties or guarantees whether expressed or implied that the content on our podcast is accurate, complete, up-to-date or reflects the current law. We accept no responsibility for any loss or damage, whether direct or consequential, arising from reliance on the information which is presented here.